0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Well, good morning. good morning. It's a little feels a little bit different to last Sunday. So just for those of you who don't know, we had our 10th anniversary last Sunday. The place was full of balloons and... And full of people, actually. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, it was a great Sunday. Did you enjoy last Sunday, those of you who were there? And it's good, isn't it, sometimes to look back. And uh, sometimes, actually, I, I think God does this thing where He encourages you to look back, and you need to look back in, in order to be able to look forward. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So an example for me was quite stark last week when we had um, Andy, who planted the church here. So he was the first pastor. <laughs> and uh, John Taylor did a great job, didn't he, interviewing yeah. interviewing last week? He's not here today because he's saying or, um, Petra, his fiance, is saying goodbye to the East End Church this week. So he's gone to support her because next Saturday they get married. <laughs> and they're coming here. <laughs> so he's not here today, but he did just a great job, didn't he, interviewing last week. And he interviewed Andy, who planted the church. And Andy made reference to a small passage in the Bible that had been deeply written on their hearts when they planted the church. You can imagine there's this, just this small group i think it was about 20 to 30 people fumi you were there right at the start weren't you and there were about 20 to 30 people and they had this massive celebration uh, on the first on the evening before they started when loads of people came from the original church and it was full i was there that night little did i know as i thought to myself "Ah, god bless them in what they're doing (laughs) that i would be coming along too and uh But then the next day, after this big celebration with loads of people, probably, I don't know, 150, 200 people, they're down to 30 people in this small church, in school hall. And uh, there's a sense of them being like pioneers, this little group of pioneers who are pioneering this new church in uncharted territory. And Andy talked about things like going to the pub afterwards and sharing dreams about what this church is going to be like, what's God saying? And he talked about that scripture, that part in the Bible that, that um, had been deeply ingrained on them when they started the church. That my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And after, I thought, oh, that's interesting. I don't think I'd heard that before. And uh, afterwards, uh, we were just having some food. And there was another key couple who who planted the church who started the very first small group that began to grow, a couple called Chris and Suzanne, and they were here too. And Chris came up to me afterwards and he said, Phil, I just want to re-emphasise what Andy said. I can't emphasise enough how strongly we felt that word of God over the church. This, my house, is to become a house of prayer for all nations. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, thanks very much. That's really helpful. I don't know what that means. God. And then during the, that service last week, there was this slightly odd word. I don't know if you noticed it. So here we are, we're celebrating, we're looking back at all God's done, we're grateful. It's, it's a real party atmosphere. And then Martin Beard, Maureen's husband, she's not here today. He brings this word where he says something like, Church, it's time to sharpen your swords. It's time to sharpen your weapons. And I must admit, I sat at the front there I thought, I don't think, that's very, I don't think that fits in very well. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think Look, it's celebrating, I think we'd be sharpening weapons. Don't think. Do you know what? The Bible says, don't despise prophecy. Don't despise prophecy. And for those of you who know, this week has been an interesting week for us as a church because we learned this week that um, one of uh, my fellow elders, Ben, has been diagnosed with a very serious condition. And suddenly that word makes sense about sharpening your swords and about being ready for some battle. And the word about my house shall be a house of prayer suddenly becomes relevant. Do you know what? It's interesting, isn't it? You sharpen weapons in preparation for something, in preparation for a battle that's coming. Last Sunday, we didn't know there was a battle coming. But God, in his infinite wisdom and grace, prepares us. Doesn't that just show us that he's with us? That when life deals a curved ball to us, he knows beforehand. He's sovereign. He's in it. And he says, okay, let's prepare my church for this. Let me show them that I'm with them. So let me just give them a little heads up. I'm not going to tell them what the battle is, but I'm going to say to them, "There's, there's something coming. Sharpen your swords. There's something coming. Let me remind you of what I said over this church 10 years ago. House of Prayer. Okay, now we know why. <laughs> and that I found that so helpful this week, a week where we've heard difficult news, a week where we've had to deal together with a bit of shock and surprise, a week where we're feeling deep compassion for people that we love dearly with an uncertain future ahead... And God prepares us a bit in advance so that we know he's with us. So that we know that he was not surprised. So that we know that he was with us last Sunday when we celebrated and is no less with us this Sunday as we look at an uncertain future. God is with us. God is with us. So we're going to sharpen our weapons a little for battle. And isn't it encouraging when we look at the Bible about when you're dealing with a difficult situation? Think about Joseph. When Joseph's brothers come and bow down to him at the end, after all they've done to him, and they come and now suddenly he's top dog. Suddenly they're in his ball court. And he says to them, you meant what you did to me for evil, but God meant it for good. God means this for good for us. When I chatted with Ben earlier in the week, before some of the test results had come back, he said to me, do you know, Phil, I just, I've been talking with Emma, and we think that what's happening to me might be God taking the church on a bit of a faith journey. <laughs> I thought, oh boy, you, you're something else, you are. You know? And he was, he's right. He's right. What does Paul say about what our weapons might be? So we've heard about sharpening our sword, haven't we? What does he say? He says this in Ephesians, it's well known. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. Remember, you're saved. You're going into this battle knowing you're saved. Remember it. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or praying in all circumstances for all the saints. Isn't it interesting that that passage has both of those elements that we heard last week? The sword and prayer. The sword and prayer. Those are the weapons of our warfare. Those are the weapons that we're going to be using on Wednesday when we meet together to pray. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly and fleshly weapons. They are spiritual weapons. And it's the word of God. It's the word of God. The promises that we believe in the Bible. And it's prayer. That's what we're going to be focusing on when we come on Wednesday. So just so you know... We will pray off the back of strong worship like we did this morning. Didn't the guys do well? Good faith-stirring worship. God spoke. Do you see how God spoke again this morning? These guys hadn't spoken. And yet uh, John brings that passage about, I lift up my eyes to the hills. And then a number of our songs talk about lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. I'm the giver of life. God's with us. God's with us. And here's the last thing that just has helped me to see that God's with us. We plan our preaching series months in advance, okay? And Steve, just sitting at the back, I think, with Noah, Steve puts them together for us, then sort of talks them through with Owen in particular, and then we say, yeah, that's great. And we have just reached the end of the first chapter of the book of Mark. Shall we have a look at it? The verses that we're going to look at today. Shall we have a look? Let's read it. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, But he went out and began to talk freely about it. I mean, who wouldn't? And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. On the preaching rotor that Steve sent out, against this Sunday and against this passage, there was a little note that said... Pray for healing. (laughs) And then next Sunday, because the next passage is about the paralytic who's lowered down through the roof, it also says pray for healing. So these two Sundays in our calendar were set aside for us to teach into and pray for healing. Now that was another little indication to me that the Lord's in this. He knows what he's about. He knows the way he taketh. Let's just look briefly at this passage and then uh, in a little while I'm going to ask Maureen to come and say something and she's going to share a really encouraging story about healing from her family and that will stir faith for us too. (coughs) I found this quote from a Christian writer very helpful. So if we read that first part, it says there that the leper came to Jesus and he says to him, if you're willing, he's not sure whether Jesus is willing to heal him. Is that a lack of faith? Well, he doesn't know Jesus, you see. He's never met him. He's just heard stuff about him, but he doesn't know him. And this writer, R. Kent Hughes, he says this, the leper did voice some hesitation by saying, if you're willing. Although he knew Christ could heal him, he'd heard the stories, he did not know whether Christ would heal him. This was a reasonable hesitation. He did not know the Lord and could not know what eternally motivated the Lord. But where the leper has hesitation, we have certainty because we know the gospel and we know Jesus' heart. See, the leper didn't know. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't know that this is a man who's come to bring hope. This is a man who's come to bring salvation. This is a man who's come with compassion. This is a man who says, I'm the Lord that healeth thee. But he didn't know that because he didn't know Jesus. And this guy here says, "But oh, we're in a better position because we do know him. And we do know that he is full of compassion. We have experienced it in our own lives in the journey he's taken us and the way he's saved us. Now, here's an interesting thing. Well, I found it interesting. You might not find it interesting, but I found this interesting. There is one translation of this passage that rather than translating that sentence, moved with pity or moved with compassion, some other versions say. It can be either pity or compassion. It says, indignantly, Jesus stretched out his hand. Indignant and being moved with compassion, they're two very different things, aren't they? And there is some uncertainty about the translation of those words, about whether it means compassion or indignance. But I had a pastor some years ago who used to say, when there's ambiguity, uncertainty in the Bible, it's divine. It's meant to be there. So you can read both. And actually, the word that is translated, moved with pity, it actually talk, it's actually talking about down here. It's talking about organs of the body that are moved. Ooh, it's like your, it's more of your stomach than your heart. You know those moments when when you're just something happens and Oh, there's that griping... It's like being a griping sense. It's, it's coming... It's a very strong emotion. This is not Jesus just looking and thinking, Oh, bless. <laughs> Do you know? This is Jesus who is moved with compassion or he's moved with indignance. Jesus was... If he was indignant, and if that's a right translation, if he was both... What was he indignant about? He was indignant at this moment that Satan still had sway in this world and was doing this type of stuff. He's indignant. He's also indignant because what had happened was, although there were laws in the Old Testament about lepers and about them being separate so that infection couldn't spread and all of that sort of thing, the Jews at that time had made the, the laws much more draconian. In fact, lepers were completely social outcasts. In some cases, they weren't allowed to, 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 to get their head outside their door. It would be illegal. So the, 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 the Jewish legal people in those days had made it even worse to be a leper. It was bad enough. But now you are a complete social outcast. And Jesus is indignant. And Jesus is all about reconciliation isn't he's all about saying do you know what you're on the outside at the moment through me you come in you're excluded at the moment you come with me you're going to be part of my family 2000 years later he still says that you're on the outside you're excluded no through me you're in come through me you're in you're in the family I'll reconcile you to the Father. I'll introduce you to the Father. I'll introduce you to the one who made you. Do you want to be introduced to him? Jesus says, Yeah, come on, man. Come on. And he's indignant and he's filled with compassion. You know what the other thing he does? He does, which is totally against the social norm. The Jews would have considered that this would have made Jesus unclean. He reaches out, and there's quite a strong word for touching. It could be he grabbed him. It's not just he's, you know, it's a. Leprosy. No. He grabs him. He grabs him. He grabs him. He brings cleanliness to him. He's not infected by that. No, he comes and drives it out. He still does that. He still does that. He comes. In Luke, it records that Jesus sends out 72 disciples to go and do the same stuff he's been doing, to go and heal the sick and cast out demons. And when they come back, a few days later, they recount to him all the stories of what's happened. You know, you sent us out, you gave us your authority, we're doing the business now. Do you know what? We prayed for this, and Spirit came, oh, Spirit was fighting, and out it came, out. We said out, and it went. We prayed for this one, they were completely healed, radically healed. Jesus says, I saw a picture of Satan like a bolt of lightning being hurled down. But then he says this, but don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Because what Jesus is actually saying at that point is, yes, my kingdom is coming now. The blind are made to see, the lepers are cleansed, evil spirits are cast out. This is the sign of the start of the kingdom coming. But you know what the most important thing for you is, guys, he says to his disciples, it's, it's that you're reconciled with him and your names are written up there. That's the most important thing. That's the hope to hold on to. And they would need to hold on to that hope because many of those disciples would face execution after Jesus' death. What's all that about? Where's the victory in that? Well, the victory in that is that your names are written in heaven. That's where you're heading. That's That's where you're heading, Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, do you know what's fantastic? This is the start. This is the start of Satan being thrown down once and for all. This is the start of the kingdom coming, and its fulfillment is going to be there in that day, because your names are written in heaven now. That's what he says. That's what he says to us. When we face uncertain futures, when we face uncertainty, yes, we will pray with all our might. And he says to us, yes, and my kingdom's coming as you pray. And your names are written in heaven too. It's wonderful. This is great. You know, you know, I'm going to bring a hymn in, don't you? You know, it's likely to happen on a day that I preach. And there's just this one verse from a hymn by Isaac Watts. It's fantastic. Let's see if I can remember it. Should all the hosts of death and powers of hell unknown put their most Dreadful forms of rage and malice on, I shall be safe. For Christ displays superior power and guardian grace. Yeah? He's the victor. He is victorious. In our small group this week, as we were praying, uh, Nick, who's out doing the crazy at the moment, he just brought this great word, didn't he? Do you remember? He brought this word about Jesus being at the head of the army. He's won the victory, and we're just following on. We're the troops who are following on. But he's gone before. He's won it. We're following on in his slipstream. He's the victor. It was great. So encouraging. Does your heart good to hear that he's the winner. He's done it. He now sits in heaven. And what does he do? He intercedes for us. This morning as we prayed, we were praying, he's not passive. He just, he's gone through the heavens. He's been raised from the dead. He's won victory over death and the grave for us. And wouldn't that be enough when you think, okay, do you, want, do you know what, Jesus? Go and have your rest, mate. You've done enough for us. But no, he sits on the throne beside the Father, and what does he do there? Passively watch what's going on in the world? No. He intercedes for us. He intercedes for the saints. He's praying. He's praying for us now. You know what? Whatever you are going through, you think, oh, I'm just feel alone in this. The Savior is praying for you. He's interceding for you. It's wonderful. We're going to hear from uh, maureen is going to tell us just a exciting and faith-building story just about god at work in, in her own family and uh, so i'm going to hand over to her i think we've got can we give her that right john it's great
1: thank you um it's a pity martin's not with me to share this um we normally share together but he's actually visiting his family down in devon this weekend Uh, Which was pre planned. Um, So, this, and it's very interesting actually that there's, because I had no idea what Phil was going to preach about today, but the emphasis, so much emphasis on prayer, and actually prayer has featured so heavily in our um, story. So, this part of our story started about 11 years ago, um, December 2005. Um, when my mum was diagnosed, out of the blue actually, with advanced inoperable cancer of the bowel, which had spread um, all over her body, and she was given days to live. We were told she would never eat again. I felt at that time, I mean obviously huge shock, but I felt that it was right to pray the prayer of King Hezekiah that God would extend mum's life. Um, I'm sure there were a lot of raised eyebrows at the time because my mum was 90 at the time. But I felt it was right. Martin supported me. We got a group of people to pray with us. We prayed. I managed to get mum home from hospital before Christmas. Um, She was on a syringe driver, district nurses twice a day. But gradually over the next few months, uh, she came off all the drugs and um, until she was on nothing, no medication, she wasn't in pain. By the grace of God, Mum lived until the end of August uh, the following year. Now, that was significant in and of itself, but it took on an added significance in March, a few months um, later, March 2006, um, when Martin came home from work suffering from intense pain, And uh, I got the out-of-hours doctor out. He thought he had gastric flu. I took Martin to the doctor when he didn't get better. He was passing blood in his stools by this time. They thought he had a bleeding ulcer. Anyway, so it went on. He wasn't sent to hospital. Unbeknownst to us, he was very seriously ill. On the Thursday, so a whole week later on the Thursday... Because my mum was still alive, my cousin Fred, who had just got back from a medical mission in Chad, um, he was a retired surgeon, he came to visit his auntie Doris. As soon as I saw him, I said to him, Fred, you have got to examine Martin. He told me afterwards he thought I was being a bit of a drama queen. (laughs) But he examined Martin and within five minutes, without a stethoscope or anything, he had diagnosed what the problem was and got Martin admitted as an emergency to King's College Hospital, where the next day he had a seven-hour operation to save his life. Any later, and he would have died. So we believe it was utterly God's amazing grace and providence that he, he extended mum's life against all the odds, sent Fred to visit and used Fred to diagnose what was wrong with Martin. Um, When Martin was just about to be wheeled off for the operation on the Friday, out of the blue, this friend of ours from Holland suddenly came onto the hospital ward. It was just completely bizarre how he knew, how he got there. And um, he was able to see Martin before he was wheeled off. And then because he was there, it meant that um, I was able to leave Fred with Martin's twin brother Ray while I went off with Paul, this friend from Holland, to the prayer chapel to cry out to God in prayer for Martin's life whilst he was being operated on. It was just, we had the most amazing time of pouring out our hearts to God. Um, And uh, we just feel that God sent Paul just at that time. It was brilliant. So, um, two weeks later, we got the diagnosis that Martin had lymphoma, which is a cancer of the blood. Um, and uh, it was actually wrongly diagnosed at first, but subsequently it was diagnosed to be mantle cell lymphoma. Um, and it was terminal, so there was no cure. Um, they, at this stage, um, Again, I, I felt it was right to gather a group, a praying group around me to support me and for us to pray and seek God um, for Martin's life. Um, some years previously, for a period of 10 years, I'd led an intercessors for Britain group, um, intercessory prayer for the nation. That I hadn't met for years. But, but in the most miraculous way, which I haven't got time to tell you about, that, I was, that little group came back together together for just such a time as this. Jenny Burt was one of that group. And we met to pray every week, pray and intercede and seek God for Martin's life. Um, and also for other people who were sick, it was amazing how many people were sick at that time, and we, we met to pray. Um, so um, after that, Martin, in the... Um, of February 2007, Martin had embarked on um, a course of chemotherapy. Um, We really didn't want him to. We wanted God just to heal him outright. But, you know, God chooses different ways of doing things. So he embarked on a course of chemotherapy. I'd researched it all, and, and I knew which regime I wanted for him. And kings were able to offer that. So he had that from the February to the July we were consulting um, a doctor who was um, a cancer specialist at this time and also a t- nutritionist who really helped us to devise a diet that would support Martin. Martin was on herbal tincture. I was juicing three times a day. Just to support Martin through that period of chemotherapy. And Actually, he came through it amazingly well. Obviously, it was grueling, but he wasn't sick. He didn't lose his hair. But at the end of that period, I have to say the physical signs were not that great that he had come through into remission. Um, and I remember, so we finished the chemo in the July. In the August, I'd arranged for us to go away for a couple of weeks to Iceland. Just a bit of light relief after all the grimness. And we went with um, Martin's twin brother and Fred. Um, So we felt it was safe with having Fred on hand because of the medic side. Um, And I can remember one day in particular, it was the only day that Martin and I were walking on our own. Normally we were together as a four. So we had the most lovely walk. It was sunny. And we were walking and talking and praying. And I can remember at one point just falling to my knees in prayer, reaching out to God Sorry, (laughs) that was a long time ago. Um, Reaching out to God, it was just one of those very special times where you have that sense that you're touching the heart of God. And at that time, we didn't know what the result of of the chemo would be. But it just stood out as being one of those very special prayer times. Then in the September, we went back in to see the oncologist and we got the amazing news that Martin was full to into full remission, which you know, you just wanted to punch the air, like, say, Praise God, um, because it was just so wonderful and it was unexpected. Um and um a couple of things that I, I want to say just leading up to this, which um kind of God's interventions. Before that happened, I think it was during that period of chemotherapy, we went to a healing meeting um, in Shrivenham. We didn't know anybody there. Um, It was an amazing thing that a couple in the church invited Martin and me to have a meal with them afterwards in a restaurant, plus a couple of people who were staying with them, guests from New Zealand. So we had this meal with them. While we were waiting for the waitress to bring the food, this New Zealand guy, remember we hadn't met any of these people before, he suddenly stands up at the table, thumps the table, looks Martin in the eye and declares you will not die but will live to declare the works of the Lord. You know, so there was, I could, I'm trying to make this really brief. There's so much that I could say of, of words, pictures, scriptures that God brought at various times to encourage us along the way. It was just amazing. So back in with the oncologist, hearing the wonderful news that Martin was in, through into full remission, then in the next breath, the consultant said, we now want you to have a stem cell transplant. I was like, my goodness, you know, you'd hardly recovered from the good news. And they then wanted Martin to have a stem cell transplant. So um, we left there really with our heads in a whirl at complete days. But uh, we spoke with um, the um, cancer specialist. He put just a little question mark of doubt in our minds. I then did loads of research about it. And... I found that there was a one-in-five chance of dying just by having the stem cell transplant, a hugely high percentage of ending up uh, with major organ failure or um, becoming disabled. And so, again, we sought God for his wisdom, you know, what to do. You know, life and death situations. And the oncologist at King's absolutely would support no other way. This was the only way forward as far as they were concerned. Um, And so we sought God, um, and we also sought a second and then a third medical opinion, which came out for being that the risks were so high that at this stage, they, they wouldn't go that route, so after much prayer and thought and everything, and we and there was another word that came through somebody at church who was really more on the periphery and not given to prophetic utterances. But he came up to us and he said that he really felt God had impressed on him we were to set our face like a flint. You know, like Jesus set his face like a flint for going to Jerusalem. So we really felt encouraged by that, that because we were coming to the decision not to have the stem cell transplant, which was a really scary thing to decide because, yeah, anyway, for all of those reasons. Um, So we went in to see the the oncologist at King's and um, God, again, wonderfully intervened because we saw a different oncologist who was much more empathetic to our position and he said that he would support us in it and Martin was put on what they call a watch and wait where he's exa- he, um, examined every few months. You don't intervene with medication, but you just watch and wait. And the thing was, they said it was never a question of if the cancer comes back. It was always when the cancer comes back. Nearly every time we went in to see them, no matter how well Martin was doing, it was always when the cancer comes back. Um, that was a post-chemotherapy. That was 10 years ago. In that 10 years, Martin has not been on any medication. He has lived a full, normal, healthy life by the grace of God. We have felt all the time and we still feel that we are walking on the water and we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Um, And the corollary to this is that a few months ago, no, a couple of months ago, Martin went in for an examination at King's. And he was discharged. They don't want a stone. It's no longer a question of when the cancer comes back. (laughs) And we just give glory to God.
0: So this Wednesday, we are going to get together to pray. And uh, I think there's a slide, Bill. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Um, And I'm going to encourage us to fast that day. Now, just for any of you who who can't, who have medical conditions or pregnant, you're not allowed, okay? Or maybe just one meal or you can forego a packet of crisps or something. Um, But for those of us who can, I'm going to encourage us to fast on Wednesday. And that might mean for you just giving up a meal or it might mean you feel you can fast for the whole day. And and to pray, and there are different ways of praying. So I've heard that Val is praying very regularly, every six hours or something like that. He has been for Ben, um, and so that's one way. Another way is just to put aside uh, lunchtime. If you're not going to eat at lunchtime, if you're at work, to go out and go for a wander and pray then. Um, and then we're going to get together in the evening and we're going to worship and we're going to pray, particularly for Ben and Emma. And then we, might, we may well pray for some other things as well, but we'll certainly be focusing a lot of our prayer time for, for Ben and Emma, okay? So that's what we're going to do on Wednesday. Let's pray together now. Let's stand. And, uh, guys, have we got a song? Can we finish with a song? Yeah. Uh, Father, if there's one thing that comes out of this morning for us, it is that you are with us. That Lord Jesus, when you said, I will never leave you or forsake you, you meant it. And we have experienced it this morning. We thank you for all the indications of your presence with us over this last week. We thank you for this amazing story of your healing power and faithfulness in Martin and Maureen's life. We thank you for the way that you hear and respond to faith-filled prayer. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you also said, faith is a grain of mustard seed is enough. So this isn't something that we have to work up. And we don't have to come to you feeling like that we need to come in our own righteousness. We come in your (laughs) righteousness and we can come with mustard seed faith. And you will bless it and you will bring increase because, Lord Jesus, you are always the one who brought and brings increase to what we bring. And so we will bring our mustard seed of faith and we believe that you will hear and you will honour and you will answer. And Father, we pray for our own selves over these next days and we pray for Ben and Emma. We also just pray for Mark and Cecilia Uh, But Bodicea has not been well. Their little girl is in hospital at the moment uh, on antibiotics. And uh, we thank you, Father, that those are already having an effect. We pray for complete healing for her and for peace that passes understanding for Mark and Cecilia. And we pray for Emma and for Ben and for Hannah and for James, that you will surround them, that you will give your angels charge over that family that you will give them courage, you will be their encourager, and we ask, our oh God, that you will use us as a means of grace to them. We ask that you will hear our prayers, and we ask also that you will help us to diligently look for ways where we can serve and support them during this time. Lord, we love you. We recognize that you alone are God. We declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and that now he is seated at the Father's right hand from whence he intercedes for us. So be glorified, we pray, O God. Stir our faith and may your name be lifted up and lifted high. We ask it in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus.
1: You have just listened
0: to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.